0: Your epic adventure has gone from imagination to a stack of materials ready for a gaming table. You have your players, you have teased out your campaign, everyone is chomping at the bit, ready to go. Your session zero was nothing short of stellar success. And now, it's too late to turn back, because session number one is right around the corner. Better get prepping. So grab a pen and paper and your Dungeon Master's Guide, because it's your campaign. Part 2, the keys to game prep, this week on the Dungeon Master's Dojo.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters as well as experienced and new players alike. We hope to bring you the tools needed to not only be a great GM, but to help you develop as a player. I'm your host, Louis Saponte. Our stars of the show are Scott Labby and Bill Robotile. Let's enter the dojo and see what both Bill and Scott have in store for us today. Bill, Scott, how's it going
2: today? I'm absolutely wonderful. Fantastic. Good. i glad to hear it. Yeah, we're, uh, we're still talking uh, your campaign, uh, and that's fun. We're moving right along.
0: We are. We are. It, it's part two. Uh, we have a, a keychain full of keys, and we're going to be passing them out and uh, talking about each each key and what it opens. Keys yeah. to game
2: preparation. I love preparation, getting well, ready for the game.
0: Well, you and I both, but it also it plays very well to our self-imposed OCDs.
1: I guess when you guys are
0: talking about keys, what do you mean? The different points along the progression, the planning, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, where it works best. So these are the the integral points that you need to tick off. and How to be good at it,
2: and how to be good at it, because that's the most important thing. Because you can over prepare and you can under prepare. So you need you need something in the middle, and uh, that's what we're hoping to give today. Support the Dungeon Masters Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and PodChaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we
0: want to know how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is with a small monthly donation so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us to upgrade and replace equipment. Head over to Anchor to the Dungeon Masters Dojo page and click the support button. And now, onto this week's episode. So back to what we were talking about. So I guess you guys, um, you plan out your key
1: events and then what will happen at the game session.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, game night's coming, and uh, you better be prepared, and that afternoon is not enough time to prepare.
0: <laughs> not even close. Not
2: if you're going to run an engaging game, and, and why bother if you're not going to run an engaging game? You want to leave your players wanting more, and wanting more in a good way. So you got to do the prep work. You have to. It's, it's not
0: something you can no, get yeah, away you, with. You, you need to plan it all out. I mean, I start with the draw. How, how do you get them in? I mean, you had your session zero. They're all introduced. You may have hinted at what your plot is at, but the draw is what starts it. You know, that's all right. This is what gets them all hooked. And this is where they go, oh, wow, that's, that's, this sounds interesting. So not only are the, the characters wanting to progress, but the players want to progress. And that's a lot of it too, because you, let's face it, your, your PCs are driven by your characters. If your characters aren't interested, then obviously your PCs are just going to be fiddling around. So let's let's get them all hooked up and the draw is the first thing that I usually go.
2: Yeah, I work off an outline. Um both Bill and I have mentioned countless times the bullet points, the infamous sheets of bullet points. <laughs> and that's um that's the outline I work off of. Yep. So when when referring to the these bullet points, you need to now take pen to paper and plan out the key events for your game session, the one that you're going to run. Ideally this is weeks in advance or at the very least a week before your your game session happens, yeah, a, a,
0: a day or two out just isn't going to give you the time. Um, and he, Scott and I have both been doing this a long time. We both have a formula we use. We develop these independently, and it just turns out we both use the same method. Which is how when we write things go so well for us because we think along the same lines. Yeah, reading um, out of the same book and the yeah, same page, you know, it, and that, exactly that, that helps tremendously. So let's, let's pop a couple key events then. All right, how I. How would I look at? I look at the draw first, uh, then the conundrum. You know, what's the problem? Uh, from there, I will go to what I refer to as my Kobayashi Maru, give them something that seems unsolvable, and let them find their way out of it. Uh, that is both combat and non-combat. Then I'll give them the final confrontation and then a conclusion. And it sounds pretty simple and easy. It is not. But these are what I build off of when I build mine. I assume you have something similar. I go
2: through and I I determine what my my combat encounters are, my role-playing encounters, um, plot hooks, and and the whatnot. I like to use a formula of an encounter takes roughly an hour. That doesn't mean that every single encounter I expect to take an hour because some will take more. Mm -hmm. Some will take less. A lot less we've seen. Yeah, a lot less. Uh, But at the end of the day, it kind of balances it it out. So if I'm doing a... um, a four hour game session, which is about what we average yes. when we do Monday nights. I'm I'm looking at four encounters that are going to forward the um the story and maybe maybe a fifth I'll keep in my back pocket just in case uh someone throws a crazy Ivan in there and takes down my my big bad in, in, in record time. Or even because,
0: your or even your medium bad somewhere's in yeah, encounter counter number two.
2: Because sometimes that happens. Now, when we do our our, uh, our our long game sessions and we're <laughs> we're running stuff for eight hours a day,
0: at least for twelve to sixteen people on yeah. two different tables, running simultaneous and parallel plot lines, we're looking at about forty, 40. to forty five
2: encounters per table. So that's writing per out di- per t- yeah it's, yeah that's, that's a lot. That's of a lot. Encounters. It's um it's a lot of writing, and I guess had I put as much effort into my <laughs> academics. Uh, as I I do into writing those week long adventures, I would have gotten an education much longer ago.
0: <laughs> You'd be a doctorate by yes. now.
2: <laughs> um, and and balance I think is really good with with your game session because mm-hmm. there's some game sessions like we've had a whole day at my table on our week long getaway where it's been nonstop brutality and combat and but you you can't do that every day but
0: but at least you took time out for a you know a big gala event and a dinner oh wait that was combat too yes that was i'm sorry (laughs) couldn't
2: couldn't be helped so yeah, i i like to balance it with you know combat role-playing plot hooks and sometimes your plot hooks and your your role-playing encounters turn into combat encounters depending on (laughs) who happens to be sitting at your table at the time sometimes your players will Turn those role playing encounters into combat encounters. Yes, um, but I like to I like to throw um, at least one yes uh, combat encounter in there just so things move along a
0: little bit. And, and let's uh, face it, you don't walk around with swords and flails and bows and stuff like that and spells without wanting to use them once in a while. Yeah, at least once in a while. At least once. In a while. So Some, yeah, sometimes yeah, all be, the time. That, that's a like said, That's the formula we use pretty consistently. And it it's panned out very very well for us over the course of the twelve years we've been doing the the week long and, and then beyond that as well. But all right, so on to the next one. Uh, your key NPCs. So where do you go with that? And how do you even uh, develop those uh, key guys? You know, what's your motive behind them? Well, I mean, a lot of it is you know you know what your encounters are going to be because you've pretty much set up your key events. Now you need to populate your events, basically give a it color. It, uh, your events are your broad strokes. Now let's you know let's fine tune a little bit, and that becomes your contacts, your guides, informants, Uh, your NPCs are both diversion, um, who's going to pass on what information, uh, materials, things like that. So that, this again, you know, helps further the plot. It helps further the development of the characters. Uh, Even if it's not plot driven, they still got to go to the store. They still have to buy things. They still want things. So you still have the NPCs that have to sell them. We've already mentioned developing NPCs in another episode where this is, this is the bread and butter of your world. It's I mean, the people that live it, there. It's the people that live there. It's it's everyone they meet. Um, you know, your world is a is a chunk of earth. You know, water, wind, vegetation. But all it is is just a giant Garden of Eden, and you're all alone if you don't have NPCs in there. It's every other person in the entire world for. So it's important to know your NPCs, uh, know who they are,
2: what they are, how they how they act, and and like Bill said, we go through this in our NPCs episode. So check that out. If you have any questions, because it'll answer a lot of your questions, go ahead and place them in their locations Yeah, where they're going to be and have a few notes next to their stat blocks. They sh- should always have stat blocks. I, and my stat blocks are very simplistic for my NPCs. I don't do hit points. I don't do hit dice. I do hits. This is usually how many hits it's going to take to take this particular NPC out. Their, uh, their stat blocks for me are very simple, what kind of damage they do and what
0: sort of skills they might have. Because so, they're not. I mean, in most cases, you're not going to need hit points unless lose on your table. So yeah, a quick, simple stat block works out really, really well. And these are my delivery system for plot hooks mm-hmm. as well. The NPCs are, are are great for that. Yeah, it would suck having to go to the bulletin board in town square every time you want to move them along.
2: Yeah, and, and know know their you know have notes on their personality. Doesn't have to be really deep or or specific. Don't spend a lot of time on it. You know, if they speak in a specific accent. If they're gruff, if they're you know a cranky old guy, if you know they're an old matronly type, just those quick little notes so you can know how to portray them when that when that time comes, and uh, that way, if they ever travel back to wherever it was these NPCs are, you still have notes, so you have consistency with your um with your key NPCs. So it sounds like you're um
1: creating a just like the the beginnings of a playing character. It's you know yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You start, the, in you, layman's terms. Notes. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So yeah, cl- clip Notes on a PC. The beginnings of a character and just not flushing them out fully right. because it would take too much and time. And we've, we've mentioned before, a lot of times these NPCs actually turn out to be PCs for one of the other players. Um, it's happened a number of yep, times. Yep. Or you turn it into a, a, a reoccurring NPC, so you need to stat him out all the way because he's interacting with the player characters as a player character. So um, yeah, you you. But the like I said, the cliff notes work really yeah. really well. So it's just the beginning, like a, yep.
1: yeah,
2: yeah. And I've I've played with at tables with DMs that when they made NPCs, they were making player characters, and that's just way way too much work. That, you, yeah, and yeah. you could be spending all that time making a story. Uh, yeah, making a story, building a new monster.
0: Yep, creating a, a unique magic item. So just the cliff notes on your NPCs. That's all you're really gonna need. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, Plan out your key plot hooks and place them. So what are your key plot hooks? That's probably the first question you should
2: ask. Mm -hmm. Um, They can either be for the session, a month's worth of sessions, or for the overall campaign. But know where they are and place those key plot hooks throughout your session or sessions.
0: Absolutely. This is also one of the first real chances to use the backgrounds from the characters. This is probably the, probably the, you know, first real, you know, meat of it where you can get into and delve into their backgrounds really, really hard and start drawing out some of these, these backgrounds and place them along. Like you said, whether it's just for that particular encounter for that evening, for the, you know, the scenario for something that's going to carry on to the next scenario. All right, we're going to be using the, we to be using these characters in the next scenario as well. Um, just, this is just episode one. It'll last, Eight weeks, and then we go on to the next one. Well, maybe one of these points is not. It's the whole thing's going to revolve around to build plot hooks for the second session. But you can start bringing stuff in now. Yeah, and don't don't waste those opportunities. No, by all means,
2: you, this this is one of the first places to use them. Yeah, and you don't have to go all in right off the bat. No, no, you know, you just uh, establish maybe a couple people or aspects from player characters' background, but that's enough to to pique a little bit of interest. You know, your, mm-hmm. your player's going to sit there and, and go, hmm, I wonder what he's going to do with this information I gave him now that he's kind of touched upon it. Oh, yeah, yeah. a little suspense, a little anticipation. Yeah, you don't want to show the monster in the, f- in the first act of the, the movie. Oh, no. you gotta, you got to wait a while.
0: Think of, think of Jaws, what is it, 1974. Yeah. You didn't see the, the creature until three-quarters of the movie was over. Yeah. And it was, once you heard that music, man, you knew it was there. Here he comes. And you're like, ah. Yeah. Nope, they didn't show it again, but. I can't look. Yeah. <laughs> Eight poor Robert Shaw. Oh. Uh, My favorite character in the whole movie. On, the, pl- on the plus side, the uh, the shark blew up almost immediately, so it didn't have a tran- chance to get drunk off of Robert Shaw. Yes. So it was just.
2: Or perhaps it blew up so easily because it was <laughs> drunk off Robert <laughs> Shaw.
0: <laughs> okay, so. So but, what kind of plot hooks do you throw in there? Oh, well, I mean, obviously we talked about the background, but you're going to, some of the plot hooks are going to be how to drive your story, in, in as far as broad strokes. Then you're also going to want to throw some plot hooks to drive the individual player characters. Not all at once, you don't want to throw everybody on board, but. Pick a couple of your player characters and draw them into the story and let them bring the other PCs with them. And then the next session, pick another one or two and draw them in off their backgrounds or something that's happened or the interactions between the player characters. Use that as well in concert with the, the, the scenario you've already set up and try to blend that in. And I, a lot of times these things will happen You can sit on them. You got another week until your next gaming session. In most cases, you got time to think about it. How am I going to draw them in, and how am I going to blend these together? Sometimes they'll do it for you, but even if they don't, there's some information there that they're handing you. Use it.
1: Well, just for as an example, we'll talk about one of our characters' backgrounds or backstories. You know, just to see so people get a better understanding of what we're talking about. Iskander. We knew she was a librarian. She had other skills behind that, but how did you put her story into the game. Now, you know what her backstory was.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I got, we get the backstory. We've mentioned this before. We get backstories before the campaign starts so that we can review those backstories and find places to add the backstory to the overall campaign. So with, um, Iskander, she was, she was a librarian and, um, she had a uh, she had a, a particular skill set that she developed outside of academia, and uh, she was she dabbled a lot in things. So she was um, she was adept in roguery, um, but she also had some arcane knowledge. So she could cast some spells. So she had a a mentor and an older wizard type, and I thought this was this was really a good opportunity to play around with their backstory because Cork had written a backstory that kind of spoke to me and I was like, Ooh, I think I could, I think I could really play around with this and have a good time with it. And I really liked his portrayal of the, of the character. It was really tastefully done. And uh, so that's, that's what I did. So at the end of one of our long sessions, I had her old mentor be part of this clandestine plot to bring this old god back into the world and they and they succeeded and it had the effect i i thought it would have she was she was pissed <laughs> and i think Korok was also intrigued and he had she had found a magic item that was an earth elemental that when you whispered a person's name it would go after them and uh you know attack him so that's precisely what she did before they passed through a portal to escape, because the um, there was a massacre happening after that, and we uh, we kind of forgot about that part of the story. But we had just finished a a story focused on on Iskander uh, two weeks ago, and the story involved her old master, and I brought. I brought him in because they never had that moment where they could meet one another and sort things out. More like closure. Yeah. Yeah. There was no closure, which um, I love doing because I want people to kind of forget about it and think, Oh, it's just loose end. I always like to tie up the loose ends. And uh, so when the big reveal happened that he was one of, one of the people kind of involved in this situation, his, whole side of his face was all scarred up and mangled from that earth elemental. And even though it was um, like an online game uh, I I could see the look on, on face when I brought that up (laughs) and uh, he immediately recognized what that was referencing to. And they had their moment and uh, she defeated her, her mentor who was kind of a cruel mentor to her and also someone whose philosophy on things was diametrically opposed to her. So she had that, she had that moment of closure, which, which was really, really cool and very satisfying, I think, for Korik as, as a player.
0: But this played out over quite some time. It was a couple years. A couple of years. Couple of years. And, two, that, and that's the point. Years. That's the point where your, your plot hooks aren't necessarily rapid fire by any means. You want to drib, you know, dribs and drabs and here and there and to keep the intrigue level high, keep the interest level high. And uh, and that was masterfully done, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. You uh, you just
2: want to give them enough every now and again to go, oh, they're still paying attention. Yeah. Still paying attention. Yeah, even with everything that was going on, because when that
1: first started, um, that was a huge, it was armies of armies of people that yes. were fighting. He had to have other sets of eyes, say, hey, Look who's over there! Because he didn't notice that at first, and he was like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" And you could see that it just it perked him up into the game. It actually, I think, drew him into the game.
2: Yeah, because Iskander was played just like everybody else. You're right. And but her
0: on a more personal level, uh, it was personal for
2: her because right. she was played by someone who even though he was not a very nice person, there was still some history and probably some feelings like a, a mentor or a mentee would have for their, their mentors. A certain level of respect, if not yeah. necessarily admiration, certainly respect. So it was, it, was, it was very personal, and Cork did a fantastic job of, of portraying that at the gaming the table. Moral of your story, use your plot hooks. Always, and use your players' backgrounds Mountains. because yep. there's a tremendous amount of satisfaction in tying up those loose ends from someone's history.
1: I think that uh, using the backgrounds also brings depth to the game. It's, you know, uh it just adds more livelihood to the game, more yeah. realism.
2: Yeah, and it it does. It furthers the story. I mean, we've added elements from a previous campaign where everybody was pretty much the majority of the the characters were were dead. Mm-hmm. But we've added those elements in our newer campaign to start to tie up some loose ends that were left from that, and it did. It added an extra layer of, of depth to the world, the the overall storyline, and for those players who played those characters and were playing new characters, I, I
0: think there was a certain amount of satisfaction from that. It also gives a level of validity to the second session because there's familiarity tied with the first session. So this everyone's like, well, gee, that first one was so... Frickin' awesome. Uh, how are they going to beat that? And it, being able to relate to the first seven-year session by tying it into the second, uh, that gave a certain amount of validity and, and made it, the transition a little easier for the, the seasoned players, the new players, you know, the newer people that we, you know, we brought in, which is why we started the second session. They, they, it was no big deal for them. They, they had to be reminded, oh, by the way, that's what this means. But for the, the vast majority of our group, that first session was, you know, set the bar, and that gave the validity to the second and made it a little bit more easy to digest. I think I was well put. All right, so let's move on to the next one. Key documents. What are you going to need in front of yourself here as the player, as the game master, um, to make sure you're, you got all your ducks in a row? First off, first off the scenario.
2: Yeah, that's that's probably the <laughs> most important one. You don't got no game without a scenario. That's right. That's
0: it. You know, write, write out your scenario. For me, next, maps. Yeah. I'm the map dude. I love my maps. So, yeah, so maps would be the next one. Uh, then I start getting into, like, your encounters, uh, specifics on your encounters. So you have your scenario, but th- make sure you have your documentation for your monsters uh, for Anything they're going to be. Your maps are also going to be your buildings, your stable, the roads, waterways, boats, whatever else you need. Uh, make sure those are ready. What, what do you got? I got a few more listed, but what do you got?
2: Handouts. Um, anywhere yep. you go in the world, people always file handouts in in the trash can on their way of what, uh, out of wherever they are. But at the game table, players love handouts. They love those uh, those maps. They love letters, cheat sheets, cheat sheets, cheat sheets. sheets When, when, as a matter of fact, it's a good thing you mentioned that because when we first started with fifth edition, we handed out a bunch of cheat sheets because we were, we knew we were going to use them. I like, uh, I like having random encounters. I always, I always have random encounters handy because I may plan extra encounters and there's just some days, well, every day my dice are against me but there are some days that things move faster than others so having those random random encounters are super important for me well they move faster because
0: of someone else's dice not yours
2: yeah well my dice suck they're not nice but random encounters i've always had a great deal of success with with random encounters because even if i'm running running ahead i'll pluck a random encounter out making it not so random anymore and mm. put it put it somewhere in the uh, in the campaign, and it's worked out it's worked
0: out pretty well. I mean, well, what I a, mean, we both do the same thing, and y- you have a random encounter. You know, you know your chi- your your cheat sheet is full of them, and a circumstance will come up, going, "Oh, this would be a perfect place for that random encounter." Well, and that's, like, and that's guess, where Higgerdeen yep, came from, and that's no longer random. That's where you know yep. now now it's it's part of the part of the plot. So, and that uh,
2: that random encounter stemmed from uh, the table moving a little quicker than I expected, and that. That character, who I, and I named the uh, the the random encounter, the last stand of higgerdeen the Brave, because I figured he was going to die. He was supposed to, and uh, the party obliterated uh, what he was fighting against, and took him and healed him, and he became an NPC that went with the party, and then he became uh, he became quite possibly one of my favorite. PCs at the table when uh matt adopted him yes and it was um it was i, I don't know, still he's he's he has since passed here's some tissues <laughs> yes yes he. Did. and it was it was awful um to see that happen um i
1: kind of enjoyed it because that's how i felt what you guys did to me in the first c7 years
0: <laughs> well i guess i had that coming well, you got it twofold because you got it from me at one table, yep. and you got it from him on the epilogue. I, so. I was not happy.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love having my stuff all organized in a nice, neat folder
0: and and ready to go so I know what to pull out of where. A couple other things. Make sure you have your magic items. If you if have some magic items you're giving out, even if it's out of the book, don't look through the book for it. Have it written out ahead of time. That way you have it ready to go. And have your PC's stats and information. Like you say, you use, it, you use a, a Game Master Shield. He, he has it out, all that stuff already in the back. But if you don't, have it written out. Know what your characters, your player characters have you know, for basic abilities, stats, pluses, minuses, weapons, just little quick sheets on everybody. So that way you're not looking for stuff all the time. It helps expedite the play, keeps things moving, makes you look like you know what you're doing. But as part of your documents, make sure you know what your, your player characters have not just you. And, and slowing down the game by looking through a book
2: for a description on a magic item,
0: uh, exactly,
2: or through a stack of papers that are unorganized, it slows the game right down. And once you start slowing the game down, you begin to lose player interest. And that's hard to build up that momentum. Yeah, again. It,
0: it breaks the, the flow. I know where it is on my clipboard. Yeah, interruptus is, is interruptus
2: is a bad thing. Floas
0: so. Interruptus is a bad thing. And there's no pill to cure it yet. <laughs> so remember that. So you, you know you have your maps, you have your magic, you have your monsters, you have your encounters, your, your information on your player characters. Everything's all laid out in front of you. So make sure you have your documents ready. And at this point, speaking of documents, I got a little paperwork to do myself. So let's take a break.
2: Support the Dungeon Masters Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we want to know
0: how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is by buying the DMD a beer, so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us upgrade and replace equipment head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the DMD. And buy us a beer, or three, or five. Don't forget to say something nice or mean. We don't care. You're buying us a beer. Now on to this week's episode. And we're back. Much better.
2: And, uh, well, we're talking adversaries. Every Batman has their Joker. Mm-hmm. Every Scott has their Lou. Uh, Every I Superman I feel has sorry, has sorry their for Alex all those Scots. <laughs>
0: yeah we're beating you up
2: identify who the bad guy is gonna be yes well that bad guy is not always bad (sighs) identify who the adversary is going yeah we'll go back to killmonger in um black (laughs) panther not what i would call a bad guy no i can relate to that adversary yeah i i protagonist antagonist antagonist oh Yeah. yeah antagonist yes so yeah i mean that makes for a good adversary yes it does. And and we talked about that too in our MPC our uh episode. But once you identify who they are, regardless of who that is, be it your big bad or your you know, your moderately sized bad, mm-hmm. know them. You don't wanna go flipping through books or reams of paper, know, know
0: who they are, what they are, what their motivations are. This is one of the NPCs that you're really going to want to develop, oh, you know, like you would a player character, because you're going to need the spell list as your big bad. You're going to need to know their stats, because they're, they're going to be combat against this person, usually. Well, I think there's a little bit more to it sometimes. I think sometimes it's
1: not just knowing them, it's owning them and playing them to their true potential. Absolutely. Ownership yep. Uh, yep. is
2: is key, and you're absolutely right because if they're the the adversary for the session, then what's going to make them adversarial? And uh, you know tactics. If it's a a a uh, fighter, you're going to want to know what their tactics are. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to eliminate the healer first, or they're going to focus on the spellcaster, or they'll call out what appears to be the most skilled warrior in the group, be it the barbarian, the paladin, the fighter, whatever, and call them out mano-a-mano mano and, and handle them thusly. Uh, but know them. Know what their tactics are. Know what makes
0: them special. Know what makes them particularly dangerous. And then you have to deal with all their underlings. Um, who are you being chased by? Who are you being harried by? Uh, who Who's out there softening you up? So make sure you know who the adversaries are, but at all levels. Yeah, you want to de- really develop your big bad and maybe his his lieutenant or sergeant or something like that. But they, they're always, there's always going to be the minions. Yeah. So and, and you don't have to stat them out as much, but know who's going to do and where they go and are they going to be reoccurring? Or is it going to be different ones? If it's different people doing different things, then are they just having a bad day or are they actually being sought after? And, you know, and maybe it is. Maybe they're just having a bad day. But yeah. they won't know that until later on when the plot develops saying, oh no, this is all being happened because of this one individual or this small group or the, you know, this clandestine organization is all doing this against us. Uh, they'll put those pieces together eventually, you know, if the, if you write your story well. But you need to make sure you got the minions down too.
2: Yeah, and your adversary doesn't necessarily have to be someone, who is going to endanger you. Uh, it could be the tax collector. Maybe your your party is entering a city or, or a, a town of some substantial size and there you have the tax collector who uh, charges you to come in to the city. And then maybe he will charge you a tax on every weapon you carry. And maybe he will issue you a fine for dressing above your station. Maybe you know he will frequently be encountered throughout their stay in the city to charge your your players for any number of things.
0: Oh, every time a spell is cast.
2: Yep, that's a that's a fine. That's fine. No spell casting.
0: No spell casting. And you know your spell casters are going to cast anyways.
2: Yep. Your adversaries don't necessarily have to be someone that's going to engage them in combat. Uh perhaps it's a um perhaps it's an illness. Or a disease that your 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 cleric has to figure out how to contain. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be any any number of things. Well, um, I got
0: one for you that you're going to like: terrain obstacles.
2: Yeah, and that could be a huge adversary, mm-hmm. depending on the um, the terrain type or
0: the season. Yeah, um, from point A to point B. Oh, all you got to do is just go over the mountain. Yeah, that's it. Piece of cake. Yeah. Um, it's January fifteenth. And there was just four feet of snow drop last night. But, hey, that's okay. The big storm isn't coming for a while, so you should be fine. Yeah, the, the
2: goats do fine up there.
0: Oh, so yeah, you guys yeah, should, be,
2: yeah, just, should be just fine. And I think you really want to be careful. You don't want to show your, your, your whole hand. Oh, by um, no means.
0: Yeah, you want to put it out there in pieces and, and yeah, like piece it together. The
2: big bad should be dessert. You know, maybe, maybe you catch a glimpse of them. Or you hear him or her, maybe he or she will speak through a minion or you'll get the uh, Emperor Palpatine kind (laughs) of um, hologram or spell type thing related to that. But never, never pull them out like in the beginning. That's the, that's the end. That's the icing on the cake. Exactly. But in the meantime, those minions and flunkies, well, they're, they're fair game. And there,
0: there'll be should be plenty of them. All right, so now it's time to put pen and paper and write out your campaign. We've talked a bunch of times about bullet points and how we arrange things to make it quick, easier, and move things along. So, what else are we going to put on our piece of paper besides our bullet points? Well, campaign notes. Yeah. All right. You're going to
2: want you're going to want those, those those campaign notes, those bullet points you were talking about. Um, so your your prep, of course, should not happen all on game day. Um, get it done before, because if you are unfortunate enough to be an adult like us, there's things that pop up. So make sure you, you, you do that a couple of days in advance. It affords you the opportunity to review those notes and bullet points and to do so a couple times. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's important. And in doing so and reading it a couple times over, will identify some things that, um, you may have missed, um, things that may not necessarily work for the direction of the campaign because the campaign's also driven by the players. So what they did last week probably didn't have anything to do with the direction you thought it was going to be going in. <laughs> so you might be on a, a
0: different trajectory. Time to reestablish. Yeah. This is also a good place to put um, any specific dialogue. As much as we hate the dialogue boxes, sometimes there's dialogue that has to be transferred, information, yeah. stuff like that. So this is where you write out your dialogue, have it ready and you know, waiting. Don't, don't rely on, oh, I'll remember it. Because you won't. (laughs) Yeah, no. Especially when you're ancient like me. Um, I I don't remember jack shit. So write it down. As well as your encounter setups, the stats necessary for those, and any detailed descriptions on anything that is specific. Because there might be points in those descriptions that are hints, plot hooks, things like that. So if you they'll learn to listen to the detailed descriptions because like, okay, there's he's, he's taking a little extra time here. There's something in there we need to know. And it's another way to draw them back into the game, especially if you're describing to one player character and some of the others aren't really, they're over having dialogue, they're you know, making baked potatoes, who knows what they're doing sometimes when they're not paying attention to the game. But all of a sudden this detailed, slow, methodic, you know, and then this, and then this, and and you see this, and you smell, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, we should be paying attention. This is one of those important times. So it's another way to kind of draw them back in. So the detailed descriptions are another thing you should have ready and waiting on your, you know, you know like, like I said, you can over-prepare. You don't want to do this for everything. But when you're trying to transfer some information from point A to point B, uh, you being point A and them being point B, go to a detailed description and they'll get into the habit of listening for it. And when you start going into that dialogue, they're going to know, all right, I better shut the hell up and pay attention.
2: Yeah. A lot of it is, is knowing where to put that extra effort in. Oh yeah. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to be that DM again that shows up with a stack of NPCs that are fully fleshed out PCs. You know, you, you want to know, okay, this needs a little extra attention.
0: Yeah, if you are showing up for just this, this night and you got a three-ring binder that's almost full, you've overprepared a bit. Yeah, and that and that could be just as fatal to a campaign as under preparation. Absolutely. So, read your campaign notes and encounters a few times before the game session. We've already went over this, and make sure you not didn't miss any of this of your key points. This is a time to make your corrections. Uh, it's also time to take a good look at your time management because you've read through it a few times. You'll recognize the flow. This is how long it's going to, you know, I think of how long it's going to take here. How long it's going to take here. This jumps to here. This refers to that. This is where you're going to be able to balance things out. And then also a good place for an overall distribution of assets that you're going to put out there. Assets being information, magic, uh, places, friends, favors. Those are all assets. And this this way you can say, well, gee, I'm awful magic heavy in the front and information heavy in the back. Maybe I need to to shuffle a couple of these things around. So that this is a good place to, you know, like you said, read through it a couple of times, but these are some of the things you're looking for while you're reading through it. Yeah, and you may have to move
2: some encounters into this game session that were integral that didn't happen last game session. Mm-hmm. Um so knowing where to put those if you have to shuffle around some encounters is is important as well. Okay, anything for this one? Anything else? No. All right. I want to talk about the next one. This is
0: lose. Favorite
2: action.
0: action, action. Start your game with action. Pow! Boom! Zowie! Thunder wave. Thunderwave! Of man. course. <laughs> <laughs> Descriptive <laughs> and fast-paced, um, right off the bat, will help get your draw your players in. Uh, let's face it, first impressions, right? Go for the wow factor.
2: Yeah. Start your campaign with action. Yep. How many times have you been at a movie and you are riveted because there is a the movie starts with a car chase or a gunfight or a karate fight? Or some sort of awesome actiony thing,
0: and you're like, okay, this is cool all the time. Yeah. So, so yeah, the first half an hour, all you're doing is describing the town, the tavern, yeah. what everyone looks like, what color oh, horse sh- it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sh- yeah. It's like all someone's
2: right. on their phone. Yep. Yeah. You know, texting, having dirty talk with their significant
0: other. Another one's upstairs for the third time in the bathroom. In the bathroom. He's probably going through your medicine cabinet, by the way. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just start start off with action. Get you hook them right in.
2: Yeah, if you're gonna meet in a tavern, then have something action oriented occur. You know, the door is kicked open, and um, uh, maybe it's dark out. It's winter. It's a new moon, so the moon is sitting in the sky. This big glowing orb, and there's snow on the ground. Uh, someone stumbles into the tavern covered in blood and ripped to
0: shreds, and then you're attacked by by werewolves. Well, wow, that's better. I was just going to have a kitchen fire. I like werewolves. Well, we are getting close to October,
2: and then you know you're. Uh, we are October's going to be fun. They're both smiling already. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be yeah. fun. And the crotchety old man in the corner who's sitting <laughs> uh, by the fire just says something like, "Well, the werewolves are back,"
0: and then your campaign starts. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to mean combat either. I no, think. no, it doesn't. It it just has to be fast paced action in. Um, like I said, the car chase. The, you yeah, know, the car chase doesn't always end on, in a car rolling over and exploding over a cliff. Yeah, sometimes you get away in a car chase. Yeah, but all right, that sets it up. Right? Why were you being chased? Who are you? Why were you running? You know that that you know just really quick. The same thing would be a carriage ride. Like, you know, all of a sudden you see a carriage pull up in front. Get in! Get in! For God's sakes, get in! Some will, some may not, but the ones that do—that'll be a contrarian. Yep, <laughs> yep. Or your wild card, who just blows the wheel off. Not this wild card. He's getting in. <laughs> but, I mean, something like that. So your car chase becomes a carriage race. Yeah, and who you know? doesn't
2: like a good carriage chase? Yeah. And and then one of them plummeting off the edge of a cliff <laughs> only to explode when they hit bottom.
0: <laughs> Horses are very incendiary. Yep.
2: Foot chases are, are awesome. I love a good foot chase. Yep. Not like in real life, because I just don't have the cardio for that. I'm getting caught. Um, I think all three of us but, are getting caught. <laughs> you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun yeah. the person you're with. Let's well, <laughs> let's let's hope i outrun Scott. Let's hope when the zombie apocalypse comes, they're the slow moving variety. <laughs> Otherwise I'm in big trouble. But a good foot chase. Yeah. Um yep. across rooftops through through city streets and alleyways. Um that that'll start it off yep. uh
0: on a very action y note. So we've we've gone through quite a few keys here. They jingle. They jingle, and we're handing them all to you. So we've given you all the keys you need to put your campaign in order. The people, places, and things all stand in the wings, ready for their cue. So grab that Trapper Keeper full of fantastic and whimsical ideas and head down the hall. Those keys are going to unlock the gates that lead to the big time. It's all waiting for you. The players the DM snack bribes and the big chair. So have a seat. It's time to run your game. And that's your campaign. Part two, the keys to game prep.
1: That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the dungeon masters dojo, or you can drop us an email at the dungeon masters, dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day.